G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. Today is another message from the series, Hey Up There. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is finishing his message about one of God's commandments from Matthew chapter 5 on the topic of adultery. Now, he is getting into some adult themes here. Just a warning, in case you've got some young listeners around. If you missed the first part of this message, you can search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Let's hear the rest of it now with Pastor Jeff. I'm a guy, if you haven't noticed. I love my wife, and I believe my wife loves me. But if you were to talk to my wife, here's some things I believe she would say. Yes, I love Jeff. He's incredibly handsome. I never dated anyone that would come close to him. I think she would say that. He's so good to me most of the time. He has given me many joyous moments. But he's also been a rather large pain in the backside on many occasions. Sometimes I would just like to smack him. He is kind, loving, gentle, harsh, hateful, and insensitive. He's a mixed bag. He comes with an open with care, hazardous material labor. <laughs> but I love him, and I don't want to live without him, but I could if I had to. When I'm traveling and I'm away, I'll call Robin, and I'll, and I'll ask her the same question every time. I'll say, have you been sitting home all day crying? Now, do you think I'm that stupid to actually believe that? No. I pick on my wife a little. My wife has taught me something that I am not sure anybody else could have, and it's this. If I try to get my ultimate needs from my wife, and if she tries to get her ultimate needs from me, that's idolatry because you will expect things of your spouse that are unfair. My wife is marred, and she's human, and she can never deliver ultimate things. And there's so much good in our marriage, but if we expect or demand too much from each other, we will live with this constant disappointment and selfish consumer-type behavior, and we'll pout like little babies when we don't get what we think we're entitled to. 
So there's so much good in each other. The problem is you can't possibly love each other well until you love Jesus well first. Because then you won't try to get the things that only God can give you from your spouse. Because your spouse will disappoint. Just talk to my wife, she'll tell you. (laughs) If we don't love God more than we love each other, we will expect our spouse to deliver something they can't possibly deliver. And when we start to fight with them, we'll get even more and more angry because we're hoping in our wife or in our husband for unconditional love or understanding and acceptance and appreciation. We'll get a little bit of all that, but not to the level God can give us. But we're never going to be happy until we get it, the level that only God can give us. And if we don't get it from him and don't understand how that works, we'll try to get it from our spouse and that will end in catastrophe. You will never be well married until Jesus Christ is the spouse of your soul. Amen. Now, what's the problem then? Well, Jesus is saying you've got to ignore the culture that says you have to have sex when you want it, how you want it, in any context you want it, if you're ever to be truly happy. Now, that's what our culture tells us. Who's the primary source of that? Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Can I ask a simple question? Why would you ever listen to Hollywood about love, sex, and relationships? Why? No entity on the planet has a worse track record of abuse, relational fracture, messed up kids, and wrecked up families than Hollywood. They are twice as likely as the rest of us to divorce, wreck their families, be estranged from their children, and turn to substance abuse. Why on earth would we listen to what they have to say about any kind of relationship? Or about the meaning of life and what will truly make you happy? Or how a girl should look? Or how a girl should dress? Or how a guy should act? Why would we ever listen to them? Why would you ask Hollywood anything about fulfillment, happiness? They're the most miserable people on the planet. Seriously, I don't say that in an unkind way. They need your prayers, not your emulation. In our culture, love and sex has become godlike. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. All right, let's finish this up here. We said that lust means greed and idolatry. Let me repeat it. Jesus is saying that you should not look at another person thinking that they're the answer to your prayers, thinking that if you can just have this person, your life will be filled, getting addicted more and more and more because it will leave you with insatiable desires. And he says, that's idolatry. Now, but he goes on and he says this, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Is Jesus really saying that if you cannot look at a woman without looking too long, that you should pluck out your eye or you should cut off your arm if it causes you to sin? No. This is one of those cases in biblical literature where hermeneutics comes in handy. It's the science of biblical interpretation. What Jesus is doing is not saying literally that you should pluck out your eye or cut off your arm. He's using what we call drastic terminology. He's basically saying, do whatever you gotta do to stop yourself because it will disintegrate your soul. He's coming at it from love. You see? He's saying, I know how I made you, and I know how I created, and I know these desires. So man, go see who you have to see. Do whatever you have to do. It's drastic. Get a hold of it now, or it will ruin you now, and it will ruin the possibility of any relationship in the future. And so this book by Regnerus and Euchre, it has another section in it on premarital sex in America, and it lists Three common myths that I want to give to you. Now, these, these are empirical. This is empirical data, okay? It's not, so even if this wasn't a church and you weren't, 
coming to hear the gospel or coming to hear what Christians believe. We could be in a town hall right now. This is no less true. Of course, that's the same about the Bible as well, but maybe I haven't convinced you on that one yet. So just take this empirical evidence. We know for a fact that one of the most common lies is that pornography will not affect your relationships. I've heard this from young men who said, well, it's not, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. It's just me. No, it's not just you. And three things people say are undeniable. Three things that they say that we know are absolutely false is that one, pornography has no impact on you. And that the undeniable fact is this. Number one, people who use pornography have unrealistic expectations of personal appearance and sexual exploits. Can you read that carefully? Crushing expectations. So they are crushed because their expectations of the women they date are unrealistic and they crush their relationships because nobody can measure up to this picture they have in their minds. And they become unrealistically demanding of their partner, which ruins the relationship. I'm a pastor for 30 years and I've seen people and heard people walk into my office, especially young women and say, he wants me to do things I don't want to do and dress in ways I don't want to dress. Why? He's impacted by pornography. He thinks that's the real world. So he thinks his wife should dress, look, and act like that. Young guys, you better get in the real world, man. It's not the real world. Your wife is not going to meet you at the front door. I'm not going to say any more than that. (laughs) Number two, male users experience a significant decrease for tolerance of relational challenges, and it becomes very difficult for them to do the essential work required to grow in a relationship. Hear what it's saying? This is empirical evidence. Fewer men now want to get married. You know why? They don't want to do the hard work of a relationship. They want to dig down into deep relational issues. They just want the goods without the work because that's what they got in pornography. Now, can I say something to you young married? Some of you have only been married for a few years. Can you listen to me for a second? Yes, I know I'm old. And you're like, what does he know about sex? Look, I was young once. And besides that, you don't know what you're talking about. Because to the person who's committed to his or her husband or wife, I'm telling you, it gets better with age, not worse. But you're not going to believe that because you think I'm some old wrinkled up guy. You got no idea. <laughs> Let me say something to you guys. Guys, she's not like you. And it doesn't mean she doesn't love you. She's not sight-oriented. She loves you, but despite your mother telling you that you're God's gift of women, (laughs) she's not wired like you. Don't take offense. It's nothing personal. You got to court her and romance her all of her life. She's not like you. And if you pout because you don't get what you think you're entitled to, you're going to take offense and you're not going to treat her as the treasure that she deserves to be treated as. It's just, you say, well, I've tried that, Pastor Jeff, but even on some days when I'm romantic, it still doesn't work. Well, it's just one of those days. She's not like you, but love her over the long haul. And I promise you over the long haul, she'll give herself to you. There's a societal move right now that fewer and fewer young men are getting married because they don't want to do the hard work of relationship And they they see it as a consumer good. Do you think this is the way God intended us to use this wonderful gift? And the third thing is this. All women, they argue, are increasingly being forced to accommodate sexual behavior and their appearances. So the images and styles of pornography, whether you know it or not, your boyfriend is doing it, the fashion industry is doing it, society is doing it, many of your friends are doing it, and you're feeling the pressure of it. Women, whether you realize it or not, 
You're being forced to conform to the sexual appearances and activities and the styles and images of porn. It does affect you and it will destroy you no matter what age you are, men or women. Now, let me go back to what I said I would deal with in the beginning. But why did God give me these strong desires? Okay, let me walk you through something quickly. If I take a walk around the block, and after I take a walk around the block, I come into the house and I drink some water, water will be good, won't it? How nice would a drink of water be if I just finished a marathon? But it's the same water. Uh, Now let's say I get lost in the desert for three days and I'm near death and I come up on an oasis. How nice will the water be? How enjoyable will the water be then? What changed? Same water. The greater the desire, the greater the fulfillment of the experience. Sex is a gift from God to all of us. And the greater your desire for something, the more enjoyable the fulfilling. It's it's part of the human experience. However, because it has such potential to give you a fulfilling, exhilarating experience, it also means it can kill you too. Now, you think about this. I like to ride my bike. That's about as exhilarating as I like my life to be. And even then, I broke both my arms. <laughs> but my wife, she likes to jump off, bungee jump off Victoria Falls. She likes to, what she did last year, jump out of an airplane down in Irvine. And then last week, for her 54th birthday, she went to Hemet and... Paris glides. She's a crazy woman. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. The greater the opportunity for pleasure, the greater risk of disintegration. If you like the thrill, the greater the thrill, the greater the risk of death. The greater the thrill, the greater the risk of death. Intimacy is a wonderful gift of God, but it also has the potential, if you don't use it properly, to cause great harm which means all of that to say this, you better trust the designer. You better trust the guide. You better trust the manner in which the equipment should be used. And to blame God for giving you these desires is like winning the lottery and then blaming the lottery commission for the pain of your bankruptcy. (laughs) Do you know that's the difference between the two words in the Bible? Lust and love. The Greek word lust, epithumia, is a word simply that means this, to fulfill a God-given desire in illegitimate ways. That's called lust. And yes, sex is a strong desire. It's a wonderful gift of God, but it cannot become your God. And it only does become your God when you abuse it, and then it will dominate you. And so Jesus is saying, Take drastic measures to fight your narcissistic, selfish, entitled inner person and enjoy God's gift in the manner it was designed to be enjoyed. But the reality is, until you're serious in this room about Jesus becoming your teacher, you're going to rebel against this. You're going to say, well, that's not my experience. And the reason you say that is because you think you know better than God how you can use your body. So you become the God of your own flesh. And just because you can't see anything negative now, you assume there will never be anything negative You have to get to the point when you realize you're not omniscient. And in the same way I'm going to tell little Ada not to do things that she won't understand until she gets older, there are certain things God tells you not to do that you're not going to understand until you get older and wiser. And then you're going to look back and say, man, I could have avoided so much pain and suffering had I just listened to the designer. 
So the question is not, and I'm afraid we're getting so pragmatic in our society by saying, well, I want to know the results. If I behave like this, what are the results? That's not your question as a Christ follower. Your question as a Christ follower is this, what does Jesus say about sex, covenant, and adultery? And how does he say I should live? And I'm going to trust him to live that way. Now that leads us to the last point in the conclusion of the sermon. This will destroy you, man. It will render you unable to function if you abuse what God has given as a gift. It will. And it will sneak up on you in such a way that it'll dominate your thought at work. Wherever you are, it's like an addiction and it's probably the strongest one, which is why Jesus said all other sins are outside the body, but this is inside the body. The disintegration of the soul and internally your thought system, everything is attacked. What do you do? Jesus says, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, he could have used many words for hell. He's not talking about the final place you go. He's talking about, he uses Gehenna, which is a word, it's a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, but it means unquenchable thirst and unfulfilled longing. So what Jesus is saying is you were built to know God, and if you lose him, you lose your ability to be ultimately satisfied. So Jesus is saying, if you use sex in an illegitimate fashion, because you think it's the ultimate quencher or the ultimate fulfillment of longing, then you're like a man dying for thirst on a raft in the ocean. Water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. And you're going to say to yourself, I just can't figure this out. I want this, I want this, and you're dominated by it, you're, you're overwhelmed by it, but no matter how much of it you get, it never fulfills you and it drives you to insanity. And so Jesus, it's his way of saying, do what you got to do. Seek who you got to seek. Do whatever you got to do to get out of this trap that you find yourself in. So how do you do that? It's not enough just to tell yourself, walk out here and say it's going to stop. You can't just say, I'm stopping today. That's it. And remember, according to the empirical statistics, right here in this room right now, one third of you are addicted. If If the stats are true, one third of you in the room are addicted. Another third are starting an addiction, and another third are coming out of it. (laughs) That's everybody. So what do you do? The best example I can give you is what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4. And he looked at her and he said, you know, I have water for you to drink where you're never going to thirst again. I can satisfy your deepest needs. And he says, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow within him. It's a life flow that comes from way down in here. And Jesus says, I can give you this water. And the woman says, well, give it to me. And what does Jesus say? Immediately, go get your husband. Kind of a non sequitur, isn't it? What's that have to do with anything? Why would Jesus do? Why would he bring that up? And the answer is because this is the manner that the woman had been trying to find hope and purpose and meaning and significance in her life, but it's not working. And she's still, her soul is thirsty. And she keeps moving from man to man to man only to feel more and more empty. That's what lust does, insatiable. Always leaving you with wanting more and never delivering what it promises. And then it possesses you and owns you and drives you. So the woman looked at Jesus and said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know you don't. You've had five and the one you're with now is not your husband. Is that cold? No, not really. Jesus is simply saying to her, you're using sex as a way to solve your emotional issues. And I can give you water where you'll never thirst again right down in your gut, right down here in your belly. You'll be flowing with energy and hope and love and power and purpose. 
Jesus is saying, or you're trying to find what you're looking for in the arms of a man, and you're moving one man to the next man to the next man because you believe the lie that this intimacy outside of marriage somehow is going to give you what you're looking for, and it never will. You need me. And she looks at Jesus, and what does she say? Sir, I see you're a prophet. Boy, (laughs) yes, indeed. She knew that Jesus had the goods on her. The only way you're going to get out of this is not by just telling yourself, I'm not going to do it anymore. You've got to replace it with something more powerful. That's the only way you're going to win. You've got to replace it with something more powerful. And the only thing that is more powerful than this is finding your hope, your significance, your love, and everything you're looking for in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that, and I haven't shared this story often, but when I was 23 years old, I made a commitment to somebody in Zimbabwe as I was coming back on furlough. I made a commitment that I would go to Chicago and pick some things up for this person. And it's the first time I'd been away from my wife for any period of time. And I flew into Chicago and, you know, I'm, you know, I guess I'm 23 or 24 and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I got to stay in a hotel for the first time by myself. And to show you how the devil works, when I walked into the room, the key they'd given me, the room was already open and I was a little confused. And the guy who was in there before me was, must've been watching pornography. And it caught my eye for the first time in my life. I think that I went into some kind of day. It must've been over a minute before I caught myself because I'd never, that, I, sheltered life, Tennessee, no internet. And I'd never seen what I was looking at on the screen. Can I tell you something? Those images are still here and I'm 53. It's that powerful. The only way you're going to defeat this is you're going to need two things. You're going to need to seek help. You can't do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. And two, whoever helps you, they're going to have to have a very honest and frank talk and help you get to know Jesus in the way that he seeks to be known. And so you can recognize the power that he will give you to overcome, but you've got to make the move. And I just want to encourage you to do so. Because the Bible says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things you're after will be added unto you. And the, the legitimate needs that God has created in you can be filled in legitimate ways. And when those legitimate needs are filled in legitimate ways, it's ecstasy for life. Father, I thank you for, I thank you for the purity of marriage. I thank you for the gift of relationship in inside marriage. I thank you for my wife and all that she's taught me. I thank you for those that, that just the wonderful gift that you give of doing life together, of growing old together, and what intimacy looks like in the covenant of marriage. I pray for these, I pray for this generation that has gone into marriage, so many of them totally clueless because of the culture in which they've grown up, where their expectations are just not ordinary and they're unfair. I pray that we would recognize that when we enter into marriage, there is a covenant of committing our lives to each other, to exploration together, intimacy together, love together. And I pray for those who need to be rescued 
that they would remember that he came to set the captives free. And if we will but trust and move, healing will come in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. The real issue is you don't want anybody else telling you, but you want to tell everybody else. You want to be the moral authority, but you don't want anybody else telling you that you're wrong about something. So in a politically correct society that we live in, the Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. But when Jesus says that, he's not talking about not discerning a worldview, right or wrong or morality. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.